if I can trust that Jesus was who he said he was, then I can trust what he said. And if I can trust what he said, I can trust the rest of the word of God. So it really came down to that point. The resurrected Christ and my faith in that then gives me confidence in all of the other things. You are listening to the Christian Music Archive podcast, part of the new release today podcast network. I'm your host, Dave Maurer. Each week, I share stories about Christ, community, and music, chatting with musical guests who you will find listed on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. There are thousands of creative men and women who have helped shape the soundtrack of the Christian faith, and we get to hear their stories, learn about how Christ has made a difference in their life, and hopefully along the way, we'll learn how we can be a better part of our community. Welcome to another episode of the podcast, friends. In today's episode, you're going to hear me chatting with my friend David Nevue. David and I were college mates back in the 1980s, and he has gone on to do some amazing stuff with solo piano music. In fact, he was one of the first people to create an online radio station dedicated to piano music. I'm mentioning that right now because the work that David did and others like him has now made it possible for people to create stations on the internet that play almost any kind of music you want to hear. This is important because I've just met a new friend who has started an online radio station called Retro Christian Music. Not only is Al airing music from many of the artists I interview on this podcast, he has also started including this podcast every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. Central Time. Thanks to Al, you can now hear this podcast in repeat at 11 a.m. on Retro Christian Radio, and I'm going to share that link in the podcast notes. Well, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, this week I'm chatting with my friend David Nevue, and if you are a fan of David and his work, you'll want to stick around to the end of the episode for a fun surprise, a little something that he and I worked on together. So be sure to listen all the way to the end. I want to tell you about the Rohingya people of South Asia. For 40 years, these people have faced discrimination, violence, and persecution, so much so that in 2018, lawmakers unanimously adopted a motion to recognize the Rohingya crisis as a genocide, describing it as crimes against humanity. This crisis has forced over a million Rohingya people to flee to other countries, and about 900,000 of them have fled to the coast of Bangladesh. According to Mercy Inc., 52% of these refugees are women and girls now living in 34 different refugee camps. Cox's Bazaar is the largest refugee settlement in the world, and it's located there in Bangladesh. It's a dense mesh of bamboo and tarp shelters, and fires are one of the big hazards that happen to these extremely vulnerable refugees. In fact, in March 2021, 10,000 homes burned down, and at least 45,000 people were displaced. Mercy Inc. and its partners help the world's most vulnerable people in 13 countries, and that includes Rohingya refugees in Bangladesh. Mercy has been on the ground in Bangladesh for five years, bringing relief, hope, and the tangible love of Jesus. Would you like to be part of the essential, ongoing work that is bringing hope to Rohingya refugees? Please go to mercyinc.org to read about the work they are doing. The work Mercy Inc. is striving to bring long-lasting change, both physically and spiritually, 
and I'd invite you to join the movement and bring hope to these generations. Learn how by visiting mercyinc.org today. Today's conversation is an especially fun one for me because I'm chatting with my friend David Nevue. David and I met in college when we lived down the hall from each other in campus housing. I was a video production major, and David, being the creative actor type, was often involved in acting and theater, and we would often work on the same project together. What I remember most about David, aside from his humor and his love of Dungeons and Dragons, was that he (laughs) always was playing the piano, at least it seemed that way. And shortly after we finished college, he released his first album of solo piano music. He's gone on to release 17 albums and was developing an online business well before Napster and iTunes or any of the other online streaming things existed. So I've been looking up to David professionally for a long time, and I'm excited to introduce you guys to my friend, David Nevue. David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's just great to be talking to you. Great to be talking to you. Fun to reconnect, huh? (laughs) It's it is. It's amazing. Can you believe it's been over 35 years ago that we first met? I mean, that's crazy. Please don't 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 say that. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, but I I can believe it just because uh, all those years ago, it, it feels like a whole other life. It's like yeah. a dream. Well, one of my earliest memories of you musically was that I was kind of helping produce the campus album project. Uh, I remember all these student artists were trying to get their things together, you know, new musicians and stuff, and then. Here's David Nevue. He'd come into the studio and he was prepared and we just got right to work. <laughs> yeah, I do recall that. Um, that was my very first time ever going into a studio. Really? I wouldn't have con- yes. thought that. Yeah, no, that was it. That was the first time. Um, I remember that we had, we were given two hours. Right. Two hours. <laughs> to go in and to put down a track. And I wasn't doing solo piano at that point. So it was, it was piano, I was recording piano. And then we had a keyboard part, which David Gilmore played on. I remember that. Yeah. The Davids. And then, (laughs) and then, yeah, the Davids. And then we had, um, uh, Linda Dobick Uh playing flute, I think on it. We had some others, uh, I get there was two there were two projects that we did. There was the first one, reception, I think it was, yep. and then just passing through. Yep. Yep. I, I still have those cassette tapes. Um and so I get the two sessions and songs a little bit confused in my mind. Yeah. Um it, it kind of blurs together. But yeah, that was my first first time. And it was just amazing. Two hours to see what you could do. <laughs> and yeah, uh, you know. All things. Oh, and I sang too, which I think was probably my least favorite part of it. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, back in the day, I remember we were listening to Pink Floyd and Yes and and that kind of thing. And I figured you'd eventually end up in a pop band somewhere, is what I thought you would do. But you turned to solo piano music. What was kind of that transition for you? What was that move for you? Well, you know, I don't. It's hard to say. Again, it was so long ago. It was so fuzzy. And and I, and at that time, I can tell you that my intent too was to play more you know, progressive rock style music. Yeah. I mean, I was in a band, you know, you know, when you're in college, you're in bands. Um, And I was in a variety of bands with 
numerous people, sometimes the same people and other people kind of coming in and out. You know, Steve Poor and I were always playing together and I played uh, Chris Devine. I mean, I'm naming all these people that I don't know if they would want me to name them, but I, I named because they're familiar to you and I. Right, right, right. But anyway, um, so I think that that was kind of what I wanted to do and it was what I was interested in because that was the music that I loved. But then I, I think ultimately what it comes down to, you, you get out of school, um, you got to get a job, you got to make a living. You know, I was married, <laughs> uh, young married, yep. had other priorities. And I think what it really came around to was that in the end, I was probably more productive or I think I just kind of gradually became more interested in kind of just doing my own thing. Mm. And, and so I, I just, I, I enjoyed writing. It's like when I was with a band, I was writing the music for the band predominantly, obviously with input from other people and, and somewhat others would write too, but I think I wrote most of the music that I sang on, but just after school, I think people kind of maybe move apart a little bit, but also I just think, really just different priorities shifting with having a job and, you know, making three thirty-five an hour and <laughs> you just dated you yourself, know, working, buddy. <laughs> work, yeah. Working at plaid pantry and, uh, you know, working at warehouser. I think it just kind of all made me to some degree too, out of necessity, kind of move to my own thing. Mm. But even then I wasn't, I think I just played piano cause it, it was just a hobby. Um, and I just wrote Kent writing songs. Um, and I never imagined it would become what it's become. Well, I was just going to ask, I mean, what was that? I mean, you you started, like I said, in the introduction, doing online stuff. I mean, I, well, I think maybe it was even America Online or something. But before there was really even an internet music presence, what, what kind of prompted you to go that route? I started recording and writing and recording really before the internet was kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, I got a job. I mean, eventually I got a job working for a company called Symantec. Back then it was more well known as Norton, mm-hmm. you know, the Norton antivirus. Norton Desktop was their big product back in those days. And I got hired to do customer support. And so I was providing support on their bulletin board service. Remember those? Yep, the BBS? Yep. yep. <laughs> um, so I was I was at a software company that was on the cutting edge of technology when the internet started to happen. And so it was like you had the BB, the BBS systems, and then you had news groups kind of came online and were kind of like the thing. Remember the the news groups, discussion groups, things. And then, and then we started to get web browsing and, you know, mosaic came out, which was uh, really the first web browser really. And I was just working at this company. And by the time this happened, I had two albums out that I had done on my own and self-produced and, you know, was selling at little gigs that I did here and there. And so I put them online and I started to promote my music online. And uh, that's really where it all started. It, in those days, everything that happened on the internet, everything that happened was new. Yeah. You know, I started on the internet before anybody was taking credit cards online. Yeah. It wasn't even a thing. You had to, <laughs> you know, you had to print out a piece of paper and mail it in. And so... Uh, I started and as the internet moved forward, I moved forward. I was constantly pressing into leaning into whatever the new technology was because, you know, to try to make it better, um, and to stay on top of everything. And that ended up being, I think a very significant reason why I had success was because I was 
kind of at the beginning of the wave. Well, and you were also more than just promoting yourself. You actually started finding other people who were doing solo piano work and building a community for them to be able to, because you kind of built your own community for putting your music out there and started collaborating, so to speak, with all these other artists who were looking for ways to get their music out there. And that was kind of groundbreaking too, I mean, at the time. Oh, it was totally. Um, Yeah, it all came about, again, it's like, you know, they say necessity is the mother of invention. And, um, you know, I started promoting my music online. And then um, the big thing that was happening way back early in the late 90s was like, you know, mp3.com. Mm-hmm. So I was really active there and um, I created a playlist kind of a, it wasn't really a radio thing, but it was like a playlist on mp3.com that was solo piano. And so I'd reach out to different artists, but you know, what that eventually became was uh, a radio broadcast, internet radio broadcast that I started. Um, and our first initial broadcast was in 2003 oh, wow. called Whisperings Solo Piano Radio. Yep, I remember that. And that was really just a result of my frustration with trying to get radio play for my music because there's nowhere that I could get radio play. I mean, the only place locally, there was a show in Portland called Lights Out. On Kink, yeah. And so there were shows like that that I could get my music on, but they would run like for two hours between, you know, midnight and 2 a.m., that kind yeah. of thing. <laughs> I could never get my music on jazz stations. I could never get my music on classical because I wasn't classical and I wasn't jazz. Yeah. You were more, George Winston would be the most comparative thing that most people would understand what you do, right? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. In fact, he was, he was, his music was, I think, was very profound in terms of the influence that it had on me and my even contemplating and coming to the notion that I could write solo piano music and that that would be an acceptable thing, you know. Before Winston, I solo piano to me was classical music. Mm, I never yeah. would have thought of just piano on its own before introduced, being introduced to him. But yeah. at any rate, um, getting back to Whisperings, I... I thought if I can't get on radio, maybe I can create my own radio station and internet radio was just starting, just happening. Yeah. We had, I released, I had the very first solo piano only channel that there was. Yeah. Um, And it was a, it was a traditional, like a traditional radio station, but broadcast over the internet. I got all my friends from mp3.com involved and reached out to many others. And it honestly, it was not long before I didn't, I had two, three, four CDs coming in a week in the mail for me to sort through. And that's still going today. We have, I think, 370 ish artists from all over the world on the broadcast. That's cool. So 20 plus years going, man. In the beginning, when you were getting back to your music, your albums were mostly original compositions. Yes. And as you've kind of progressed, you've started to pull in some familiar hymns and worship choruses. Um, As an instrumentalist, you can't really convey words with your music because you're just playing Mm -hmm. the instrument. But now that you're starting to do some of this other music with oh, that's a familiar tune and I've got these words running around in my head. What was the transition that caused you to say, you know, I think maybe I want to do some of these well-known songs that people are familiar with already? Wow. Now, you're going to really appreciate this answer. (laughs) (laughs) 
You know Kemper Crab. Oh, absolutely. Yes. We, he was on the podcast a while back. Yes. I yeah. listened to that joyfully. Kemper Crab was the original inspiration for that. Uh-huh. He had an album called The Vigil. Yes. Which is, you know, his kind of medieval instrumental vocal style mm-hmm. of music. I loved that album. And it's the funniest thing because the only reason I knew about it was because as a teenager, one of my favorite things was once a week going to the record store and flipping through albums, yeah, uh, you know, vinyl records. And I saw that album cover and I liked it mm. and I bought it at a used record store. And that's how I knew him. And so I loved that album. Um, it was just amazing to me. And he had on there a arrangement of him singing Be Thou My Vision. Right. And that inspired me. And I'm like, I want to do that. I love the words to that. The words that as he sang them. Yeah. That was probably the first time that, you know, in at that time, late teens, that a hymn actually spoke to my heart. Mm. And so I wanted to take that inspiration and I wanted to create, you know, write a solo piano version. And so that was the very first one that I did. And that was on my third album, um, which was called The Last Waking Moment. And then my fourth album was called The Vigil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Inspired by his vigil. Interesting. Yeah. I and it was the same kind of concept, which was a night long prayer vigil yeah at the piano well let's take a break from music just a little bit i'm a big fan of talking of hearing about people's spiritual journeys and i love hearing people's testimonies of how they became followers of christ now we attended a christian college together which generates which generates some assumptions but talk a little bit about how you were introduced to jesus and how that faith has grown in you you know people have asked me this question you know how you know, when did you, when were you saved? Right. (laughs) Yeah. And my answer is, I know that there was a point in my life where I made a decision to follow Jesus. I know that that is there, but I have always felt like I belonged to him. My whole life, I was brought up in the church with parents who loved the Lord. Um, So I've always felt like I was his. I don't remember a time before Jesus. Mm, I don't remember a time before faith. Um, In my 20s, I did go through a period of needing to, I guess, rediscover my faith for myself. Right. You know, why do I believe what I believe? And is this, is this really true? And which is good and healthy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Going through that thing. Well, I do, I just believe this because this is what I was taught or is this real? So growing up my entire life, I was, you know, involved in my church in terms of just being a teenager, child growing up, you know, with, uh, I grew up in the Nazarene church. We had, I can't remember the name of their, they had kind of like their Boy Scout equivalent thing at the church. Like Awanas or something Trailblade. like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of like Awana. It was uh, called something else. Yeah. But, and then grew up a teenager in a church in the the choir and by the time um, my dad went to the Nazarene Bible College in Colorado Springs so I moved there when I was 12 
And I went to a church that was huge in Colorado Springs, um, Eastboro Church of the Nazarene. And at the time, the, the youth group there was about 60 strong. Okay. It was a huge youth group. And they had um, a choir. And I was involved in the choir, the, the teen choir. And my first two my first two music tours ever were as part of that choir as we took off and went and did shows at other churches. Um you know, on the Eastern side of the U S and so that was my, uh, that was my upbringing. And then, you know, going to college, uh, being a Christian kid and meeting my, one of my best friends at George Fox, who was a self-proclaimed atheist, mm-hmm. you know, that was interesting. And that was had a lot of good conversations there. And then, uh, just growing up in the twenties, like I said, and having to, kind of coming to terms with my faith and why do I believe what I believe and um, what does this mean for me and going through that little period of, I don't want to say doubt, but really pressing in and pushing in and um, which was a good thing. So was there a specific event or a a series of events that made you realize all the stuff that I've been taught is what I believe? Or was, or was it just kind of the gradual progression? Well, you know, for me, I, I did, uh, I don't, it wasn't a specific event, but it, well, it was a specific event. It was the resurrection of Jesus. Mm, yeah. That, that was the difference. Um, you know, there's all these stipulations and speculations and even within the church, there's, you know, all these doctrinal differences and, right. and everything people, you know, in high school, I remember having a friend and we would debate over the whole once saved, always saved thing. Yeah. You know, so there's all these issues that uh, you, you kind of come to terms with or deal with or talk about or whatever. But for me during this time of testing and this time of wondering and asking and seeking um, what I noticed is, you know, in trying to determine whether this is true, I would listen to the, the people who were, who claimed that the resurrection was a hoax or that it didn't happen or that Jesus didn't happen or that he was just a teacher or that this wasn't, you know, this was never what he intended. The church was not what he intended um, or that he was a myth that was just kind of glorified after, after his death and became this mythology or all of these different things. Um, So I would read kind of books on both sides. And the one thing I noticed was that the books that would try to debunk the death and resurrection of Christ, they never, these people who were great scholars, you know, would never agree on what happened. Hmm. They had disagreement among themselves in terms of their arguments for why the resurrection was not real and why this never happened. Yeah why Jesus was not really a heather and didn't do all of these things. However, on the, the side of the, um, the defenders of the faith, there was complete agreement on the reasons, the logic, the facts, you know, whether you're talking C.S. Lewis or whether you're talking about some of these other great apologists in the faith, um, their arguments always were the same and founded in the same things. Because even when there's something that's true, it's kind of true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, 
And that really stuck struck to me. And, and what it really came down to in terms of an event was Jesus' resurrection. Was it real? Was it not? I became convinced that it was a legitimate thing, that it did happen, that it had to have happened for a variety of reasons, but primarily the fact that we even have the Gospels in the first place. Right. You know, um, there were many people who were proclaimed, self-proclaimed Messiahs in that particular time. There were many people mm-hmm. who were miracle workers and um, not saying that they were legitimate in the same way that Christ was, but in terms of, you know, the perception, right? you know, people who were perceived as having uh, higher knowledge or whatever. Um, at that time, that was not uncommon, but what was uncommon and what was typical was that when these people were rounded up and killed, that their followers would disperse, mm-hmm. you know, and go to the next thing. In Jesus' case, the same thing happened, but then... He rose again and he appeared to his disciples and these people went to their graves. They suffered. They were put in jail. They were tormented um, all for their faith. And I'm just, I'm sorry, you cannot. These people, these 12 and all of those who saw Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, would not all go to their graves proclaiming Jesus as Lord if they knew that they had it was not true or real or they hadn't seen Christ. Now, yeah. from there, accepting Christ's resurrection and knowing in my heart that's a reality. That's the that's that is the center point of history. Yeah. From there, you read Jesus' words, and it's like, well, Jesus gave authority to the Torah. He gave authority to the Old Testament. He gave authority to the prophet. I mean, he spoke to these things. He spoke yeah. about Adam and Eve. He spoke he spoke about Noah. He spoke about Jonah. He spoke at, so Jesus, who is Lord because he's resurrected and all of this, it's just if I can trust that Jesus was who he said he was, then I can trust what he said. And if I can trust what he said, I can trust the rest of the word of God. Yeah. So it really came down to that point. The resurrected Christ and my faith in that then gives me confidence in all of the other things. Yeah. I appreciate the uh, the, the recognition. And I, in fact, I wrote this down as you were talking about everybody who had an argument against Jesus, nobody could agree on anything. <laughs> no, they have all these speculations. Yeah, but everybody who agree, uh, has arguments for, they're all agreeing. And I think that's a very yeah. astute statement that I've not heard anybody articulate in that way. And I, I appreciate that. So, Yeah, that was really something that I noticed. And it was very obvious. And it's just like, well, if, if this is not true, logically, there should be, I mean there should be a clear reason why it's not. And everybody should agree on that reason, but nobody agrees on that reason. They all have their own <laughs> from, you know, from magic mushrooms to, <laughs> to he wasn't really killed. You know I mean? It's just like all these different things and it's just kind of, some of them get pretty crazy. So. Well, why that, that whole conversation piece is important is uh, I, I watched a, a thing that you posted um, online uh, a while back about God, spirituality and art. And mm-hmm. part of what that, kind of parlays into you're you are also very big into photography both nature photography and some of these other things as you travel around doing concerts and all that kind of thing and i was especially struck by your correlation between faith and art and music 
um, and that ties directly into what you were just talking about, about the truth. But I'd love for you to share that statement with, with our listeners. I just look at art as being, you know, for us as artists, we, we express who we are and we, we create, we create beauty. We create tangible things out of our mind. You know, in a very real way, we create something from nothing. Um, and so recognizing that and thinking about that as an artist helps me to understand how it is. You know, people ask, well, how could God create something out of nothing? Well, I can do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, if I can do it, then God can certainly do it. Um, but he's the most magnificent artist that there is, the ultimate artist. So, you know, it's it's this marvelous, wonderful thing where we get to walk around and live and breathe and exist within his creation within yeah. his art. We might paint a picture or take a picture and look at it and go, man, I would love to be there. Yeah. But here we are. God has made a picture and he breathed life into it. And we are walking and living and breathing within his artistic creation. And God made us in his image. Yes. And for me, he made us as like him as artists to create in the same way that his creation glorifies him yeah. and gives praise to him in all of its glory. And we look at the, the picture that God has made. We look at his painting. We look at his living painting and we say, man, this is amazing. Think of the artist who created this. And how awesome he is. Yeah. We do the same thing. We look at we look at it on a Monet and we say, Oh my goodness, you know, and we give glory to that artist. Mm -hmm. um, we hear music and we give glory to that artist. And as artists, we do the same thing. People give me glory, but I just want to turn it around and give that glory to God. I just want to say, look, I'm only me. I'm a subtext of what God is. I mean, God is the master artist. I'm just he made me in his image, and I, too, do art and creative things. And so if my little expression can reflect his creation yeah. or reflect the wonder that I have in him and his mercy and grace, and even reflect my sorrows and my pain, which right. in his own way reflects on my need and cry, heart cry for God, all of that passing through me and giving God to glory, the ultimate artist for without whom if he had not breathed life into me, I would not exist. Yeah. So all of creation. Um, and as an artist, I very much see what I do. My very life, every aspect of it, even this moment, even just speaking, I see everything that I do as, as God's art kind of flowing through me, working through me to do whatever the wondrous thing is that he's doing in this vast eternal painting that he is yeah. painting. And I like to take that a step further too, because there's a lot of us that are not as musically or artistically creative as people that we listen to or go to the, the museum to look at or whatever. But we also have aspects of how we care for one another. 
or of aspects Absolutely. of how we do business or aspects of how we are invested in our neighborhood or whatever, that those are also brush strokes of the creator God. And he's gifted some of you with phenomenal piano and writing skills. He's created other people with phenomenal plumbing skills. I always pick on plumbers on the podcast. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but I mean, that that is also a, a brush stroke of God's creativity. And for us as, as, as the created, to understand that we are created in the creator's image and that those are just as critical as the people who are doing the arts, you know, I, I just, I, I think it, it paints a whole new picture of who we are as individuals. And I just, I love that thought. And I love hearing folks talk about being created in the image of the creator. Uh, and that's just real cool to me. Well, you're exactly right. And um, you know, we look at Jesus, you know, the image of God made flesh. You know, we didn't see Jesus as an artist, but we saw him as compassionate, mm -hmm. loving, gracious. Also, you know, blunt with those who would twist the name of his father and yeah. use religion to enslave people. I mean, he would, he would, he was truth um, and compassion together and love and grace. And we just, I, you know, in terms of, you know, reflecting, you know, as Christians, uh, I think our ultimate aim, I look at myself as an artist wanting to reflect God as an artist, but also as Christians, our duty and our objective and our desire should be to reflect Christ, mm -hmm. who was the greatest of artists of all because he took broken things and made them better. Yeah. He healed people, he restored, and we should have that same heart of restoration and grace yeah. that yeah. we extend to other people through love and caring, reflecting who he was. And we're broken vessels doing that. We do it imperfectly. But again, we are reflecting Jesus, and that's what we should aim to do. Yeah. He is an example for us in the same way that he was the face of God and he was the Father speaking to us with a voice that we could actually hear. As you've been sharing this, David, you've talked a couple of times just kind of in passing about difficult times, about hard things. And in our pre preparing for this, in our pre-interview, you talked about some family issues, some health issues, some business issues that were not fun to go through. And in fact, one of the things you said was, uh, I, I wrote this quote down, that they were a gut punch that God used to move you in a different and ultimately better place. So talk about the creator God working through the difficult stuff of life. What does that look like for you? How have you recognized that these challenges, whether it be death, broken relationships, uh, you know, broken body. <laughs> yeah. how, how are you recognizing that God is working through those things? I really appreciate that question because, you know, it's very real to me right now and it's very tangible to me right now. Um, you know, I, I, I guess I look at this and ultimately I needed the gut punch. I've, I've been very successful and had a very successful career. And in doing that, um, it's very easy to, I guess, start wanting the spotlight hmm. and start appreciating the spotlight. And I can use the spotlight to give glory to God. Um, and I do. Sure. And I always have. That's never stopped. 
But there's a little part of me that really likes it and wants to be acknowledged and appreciated. And I, you know, we see it, we see it in God's word and just through the people that he worked through. Yeah. You know, every single one of them had their life really crumbled. Yeah. You know, uh, they were put in situations that were impossible where they had to rely on God to, you know, walk them through it. Um, and I've been through difficult things, but we all experience these things, you know, death in the family, sometimes tragic, sometimes unexpected. I had both within the course of four months. Yeah. Um, we have business things that happen that come and go. We have relationships that are awesome and then are broken. We have, we have things that happen that baffle us. And then of course, as we get older and sometimes even when we're not older, our bodies break and we don't understand what's happening to us. The doctors don't understand what's happening to us. Yeah. All of these things can, I, I think really they test your faith and they can make you bitter. They can make you angry or they can make you stronger. They can make you push into your faith. Um, for me, they make me push into my faith because I rely on God so much more. I rely on his leading. I mean, I can't think myself out of some of these, you know, some circumstances. I can't think, I can't be clever. I can't play my piano out of, out of it. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, but, and the other thing is just as an artist and having been in the spotlight and been seen as kind of. I think a mover and shaker in my particular industry, my you know very specific narrow genre of what I do, but being seen perceived that way, you know, we also deal with expectations that other people put on us and have on us, and they think that if we're going to do this one thing, you know, they they tie their uh, maybe they they kind of follow us because or develop relationships with us because they see us as being able to help them. And right. which, you know, I want to help them, but sometimes things change and you, you, I, as an artist, I can't, I can't do the same thing forever. Um, I've made decisions that are career decisions. Some things I pull back on, um, for my own mental health and I've changed direction. You know, I, it's like, well, maybe I want to focus on doing something else for a while, still being creative, still giving glory to God, but in a different way. Not everybody understands these decisions. And of course, you don't go around explaining to everybody why you do the things you do. Right. So people right. just make assumptions. And we live in this crazy world where whispers get turned into, you know, entire scandals. So all of these things I've uh, experienced the last few years, difficulties in personal life, um, health. And, but I will say this. Um, and this is really what is, again, it's what I put my faith in is that I know that God is working. God is working through all of these things. I'm staying in the word. I'm praying. I'm doing my very best to represent him well through all of this, but I know, and I put my faith and trust in the fact that God doesn't discard us. He doesn't just say, I'm done with you. Thank just God. because somebody yeah. else maybe in your life is done with you and they basically just say, see ya, bye, Felicia. Yeah. Um, you know, God doesn't. And I have seen and I feel like I am living right now um, this transition. I don't know where it's going. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it entails. 
I think it's several years long. Mm, (laughs) I was hoping it was short, but I think it's long. (laughs) But God has used these difficult things to push me into doing things that I've never done before. Mm. Um, that I would not have done because I didn't need to do. Yeah. But now I need to do, if I want to express myself creatively, I need to learn how to do this and I need to learn how to do that. And I need to do this on my own. So um, I trust that over the course of time, that that journey through that new learning and transition and then whatever ends up becoming will end result in glorifying God even more. Yeah. It'll speak to me from the Lord that, yes, I was with you. I carried you through this. And it will speak to others as I am able through, by the grace of God, able to, you know, perform and play and share my experiences in my life with other people. Because we all, I mean, we all kind of have similar lives. We all have these similar pains and, and hurts and rejection and struggles. And um, we just don't understand. Um, but we're all God's children. And I hang on to knowing he has a purpose. Yeah. I also hang on to the fact that eternity is eternity. And that starts now. <laughs> and, yeah. um, you know, I... There's a lot more to come from me because of him. We're recording this episode the week after Easter, and that's significant for me in this conversation because I had an experience in Easter this year of having Good Friday, and there was nothing good about Good Friday in the the original experience. Here is the leader of a new faith. We've got our we've got our all of our hopes put on him and he's dead. And the the destruction and the hopelessness and the the awful realization that everything that I believed in is gone. Now, as Christians looking back, we know three days later everything changed. But think about the disciples going through that time, the, the followers of Jesus going through that time. Oh man, I just spent the last three years investing in this guy and it's gone. And I think of that in in relation to, to business relationships, to family, to to things that we're invested in, and we just feel like this is what God's calling me to do. And then it, all of a sudden, it explodes and it's gone, right? Yeah. But to be able to look back three days later and go, oh, I see why that had to happen. And it might have been years later for some of the disciples and followers because they it was a new concept, but. For us to be going through these dark, terrible times and to, to, like you said, have faith and belief that God really has our best interest in heart and that sometimes this breakdown of whatever it is we're going through physically yeah. or emotionally is actually mm-hmm. molding us into something that we'll look back on and go, oh, I had to go through that time in order to be where I Absolutely. am now. Absolutely. And so to have that confidence that you spoke of, David, of of just, I know I'm a child of God. I know he's got my back. And in fact, he's got my front and <laughs> my top as well, you know, yeah. uh, and, and to be able to get to that point. And that's what I hope that we as as people of, of the faith can get to the point of is saying, I don't get why this dark Good Friday has to happen. But we call it Good mm-hmm. Friday now because we recognize that it, if it wasn't for Good Friday, we wouldn't have Easter. Exactly. I've had to change a lot of things in myself and my way of thinking. You know, um, 
things were said to me that really hit me at my core. And my first reaction was kind of one of, how dare you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, Ah, who do you think you are? Um, (laughs) The, but my, that was my human reaction. But after a period of time, I, I had to reflect on the word said to me and said, maybe there's some truth to these things. Obviously there's the perception of these things. Um, what can I learn from this? Because um, clearly I'm conveying something that I don't intend to convey at least, at least to, to these people or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So how do I, I need to take what I can take from that. And it's really helped me to kind of change my thinking and to try to become a more positive person and to look at how I can, you know, at our age, um, I don't know if it's just an age thing. We live in such a weird culture. I don't know if it's culture or age. Um, everything's changed so much, but um, I feel like for me, to some degree, it's age. Um, I, I feel like it's very easy to fall into bad habits and bad emotional habits in terms of, you know, falling into despair. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have really, from those, from those moments, um, I have had to proactively learn to rewire my brain Mm. Yeah, to do things, to uh, remind myself. And a lot of that has to do with being in God's word, but a lot of it is just, you know, um, reframing my thinking in a more positive and uplifting way. Yeah. So that uh, filling my head with the goodness of God so that there aren't empty shelves in my brain that can be filled with the junk. Yeah, interesting. I like that. You know, you can't stop thinking about negative things because they're just there in your brain. But the way you can, you do is you you push them away by filling your mind with good things, with the things of God and with your things that you can imagine, the dreams, the things that you want. You, you fill your time and you fill your mind with God's goodness and love and grace and focus on his word and where you want to go. You don't think on the past. You put behind you the things of the past and you look forward to the things in the future. You know, as Paul says, you know, putting putting behind us the things that went before and looking to the things that are ahead. Um, it is a proactive thing you have to do. It's a choice you have to make, Yeah. Um, at least for me. And these last few years have been instrumental in teaching me, whereas I have been for a long time, I think, riding on the wave of God's goodness and Mm. just enjoying surfing this success. Um, That wave crashed, and I am now at this place where it's like, okay, um, I got to stop looking at what was behind, and I got to look at what's before me and be positive and focus on what I can control. And keep moving toward the Lord and keep moving toward his grace. And I need to believe in his grace. Mm, I need to believe in his grace and not get weighed down by things that I, even in myself that I really have a hard time changing. So it's all a walk of grace. It's all trusting. It's all knowing that God has his purposes and he has a purpose for me and I need to walk in it and listen and wait and just trust. 
Every Saturday, I send out a newsletter to a whole bunch of folks who are committed to praying for musicians and artists. So how can we specifically be praying for you, David, in the weeks and the months that are coming in front of us? Thank you. Um, physical healing. It's physical healing. Um, emotional healing. And that I would see, I would see the light. I'd find the light <laughs> that leads me out of this place where I'm at right now, you know. Um, and I think I have, and I'm kind of following it. But boy, it's like I'm still deep in the cave. I don't know where the opening is to... You know, but I know the goodness of God is at the end. So, um, I just pray for healing, emotional prayer for healing, and and restoration, not just physically, but also uh, relationships. Uh, that God's purposes would be served through every single bit of this. Yeah, I. That's really what I think is that's the forefront of my mind right now is those things because they're on my person and in my head, and they affect everything else I do, including my art. Thank you for catching up with me this week, David. As we spoke today, David shared an illustration that really resonated with me. He talked about the bookshelf of our mind and about all the different things we keep on that bookshelf. If you are anything like me, my bookshelf often becomes a repository for all of the junk that I have used in the past and things that I'm done with and have no use for. But what would it look like if I cleared that space and used it as a focus for what is important in my life now? I can imagine putting a picture of the resurrected Jesus as a reminder that he is why I do what I do, that he is the one who saved me. The Bible should probably be on that shelf too, in easy reach, so that I can reference it every day. And maybe I'll also include the dreams and goals that God has put in my heart. I'll put them up there so I'm constantly reminded of where God is leading me. Philippians 3, 13-14 speaks to this very notion. It says, I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. I'm working on that in my life right now. I've had several disappointments recently and things that didn't quite work out the way I'd planned. And rather than dwelling on those, I'm trying to focus on what is important now, what is going to move me forward and what is going to keep me in a close relationship with Jesus. I'm going to try to make sure that the bookshelf of my mind is focused on the things of God. As always, thank you for joining me for this conversation today. I am grateful that we get to spend this time together each week hearing stories of God's amazing faithfulness. As a regular listener to this podcast, would you consider helping fund the work I do? When you contribute any amount each month, you not only help fund the podcast, but you also get to help write questions I ask my guests. You can help simply by clicking the donate button over at christianmusicarchive.com. Well, I'm going to close out today's podcast with two songs from David Nevue. The first is his song, At Last Light, and that comes from his album, In the Soft Light of Grace. And as I promised at the beginning of the show, I'm also going to share a song that David and I worked on together way back in 1987. From the George Fox College Campus Album Project, Just Passing Through, I'm going to play Whisperings, which was one of David's first ever recordings. So thanks for listening, enjoy the music, and remember, God loves you. In fact, he's crazy about you.
bringing down the leaves and the trees breathe in whispering willows toss their heads and winter chills the dead the snow sweeps the ground still a voice can be heard watch the sidewalks for a sign in a grass blade a voice can be heard in a grass blade a voice can Time for another mischievous Maurer's miscellaneous misquotes. There's a fine line between a numerator and a denominator. Only a fraction of people will find this funny.